0: through our Beth Emanuel app or on our webpage, or our Facebook page. There's a link there uh, that you could uh, give to. A couple of uh, just quick reminders. Purim is fast approaching, as Josiah mentioned in his Debar Torah. Our Purim flyers, or actually we have the little invite cards out there in the foyer that you could take to invite people. And then uh, Passover is soon uh, coming. We want to thank Joe Lamore. Uh, for making that Passover flyer. Uh, it's there in the foyer, and again, you can also register online uh, through our app. Uh, for, just pick the Passover in the drop-down menu and register your family. So uh, we have a lot to celebrate this spring with perm and Passover coming, so make sure you uh, note those holidays on your calendar and that you seek to invite others to, to join us. So let's pray as we prepare to hear the word of the Lord. I thank you for your awesome presence here today. Uh, God, you are faithful and true to your word, which says that when your people worship you, uh, you will inhabit their praises, God, and your presence has certainly been here today. Uh, God, we don't take it for granted. We are so grateful that you would uh, grace this place, uh, Lord, even as the parsha today was about the glory coming down, in the tabernacle, in the temple, God, that your glory would always pervade this house, God, and pervade our lives. And we thank you for that. And we thank you that you have a word to speak to us. We pray that we would have ears to hear and then a heart uh, willing to obey. And we thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. So we are continuing our series uh, today entitled Miracle Grow." how to cultivate good soil. Uh, every time I read the parable of the sower, I always say in my heart, God, I want a hundredfold, because Yeshua says you will reap a hundredfold, 60 or 30. I say, God, please make me a hundredfold a person. And the good news is God's desire is for us to flourish as well. He's given us these tools, much like the gardener has his tools to make his garden flourish, and hopefully spring is here uh, we got a real touch of uh, winter this past week, which is, uh, you know, not been the norm for us this winter. We've not had a lot of uh, snow or anything, but it did come and visit us this past week. But we're all looking to spring, and spring is a time where you begin to plant new things, a garden if you're a gardener and things like this, and, and having the right tools makes all the difference in the world. And so these things that we are talking about are tools that God has given to us to help our uh, lives to flourish, you know. Growing up, we always had to garden, you know, and my father, uh, you know, we had a rotor tiller that would till the ground and everything. So, um, as I got older, I remember I came home one summer from college, and I wanted to plant a garden. And by then, my father didn't have all the tools, so I had a hoe though, and I went out with that hoe and I tried to break that ground up. I want to tell you it was very, very hard. My father had compassion on me and went and uh, borrowed a rototiller from a neighbor, and what a difference that made. In no time at all, that ground was broken up and ready so I could plant uh, the seeds. So again, having the right tools is very, very important, and God has given us all these tools, and we need to implement and use them in our life. So we did start the year with a series on prayer and fasting, and I want to say, What a blessing to see the increase of prayer on Thursday nights. Uh, It's just tremendous. Uh, Unfortunately, we were not here this past Thursday. We had a funeral to attend. Uh, But um, uh, Christina sent me a picture, (laughs) and it was good to see everyone out here. And even Saturday uh, after service, uh, people gathering together for prayer, it really is going to make a difference. I think that's why the dynamics of worship today was where it was at, because we are pressing in as a body and a prayer and fasting on Thursdays, and we're grateful for that. And then when we started this series, we talked about the tools of meditation, about the Word of God, and last week, Rabbi Michael spoke on worship. And today, we're going to talk about the tool of service. And when I think about service, serving, To me, it's all about my heart, because it's really the most important area that we need to work on if we want to be true servants, because some of our personalities are the type that we're going to, quote, serve. In other words, we're going to do things, but our attitudes are out of alignment. And because our heart is not where it should be, uh, we're not really true servants. Uh, according to the scriptures. And so God wants to challenge us this morning first, and then he wants to encourage us the benefits that we can glean into our lives if we become servants. And when I thought about an example of a servant, I, of course, thought of Yeshua. I believe if you and I could truly uh, imitate his heart and attitude, we would be great servants. And in our Trekking Through the Torah class on Wednesday night, just a little plug for that. If you're not here on Wednesdays, come join us up on the mezzanine. We have a great uh, time. Uh, you know, It's an interactive study, and so we, we invite you to come join us from 7 to 8. Uh, but we talked a little bit about this uh, in one of the points that Rabbi Michael had in his study. But I when I look at the life of Yeshua, you see someone who is a true servant, right? And the scripture that Rabbi Michael shared, and we'll look at uh, today in the message even was from Mark 10, where it says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I thought, let's look at the qualities of Yeshua's heart, because that's what's going to help me to become a better servant. And the first thing I thought of was that he had a heart of humility. Looking with me in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, It said, let your attitude towards one another be governed by your being in union with the Messiah, Yeshua. Though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God something to be possessed by force. On the contrary, he emptied himself, and that he took the form of a slave by becoming like human beings are. And when he appeared as a human being, he humbled himself. Can you say that with me? He humbled himself. Still more, by becoming obedient even to death, death on a stake as a criminal. One writer said that humility is the right position before God that includes gentleness and patience. And that the opposite of humility is a boisterous or arrogant nature. That's not what Yeshua had, and that is certainly not what we should have. Another author writing on this verse talked about this and said it was a voluntary humiliation on the part of Messiah. And for this reason, Rob Shaul was pressing this example of Messiah upon the Philippians. Because uh, in this lowly state, he humbled himself. And the Greek word translated humble here is used in an, uh, an early document of the Nile River when it was at its low stage. And it's translated there, it is low. So it has this connotation, obviously, of being low. And Yeshua says, I am meek and lowly. And the scripture here goes on to say that he became obedient even to the point of death on the tree of a sacrifice. And in doing so, this author said, Yeshua gave us the perfect example of the self-emptied life, an example and challenge to all those who would seek to follow in his steps. Now, I want to encourage you today that this message is a challenge, okay? It's not going to be a hoop and hollering message, although I'd love to preach those, but it's not, okay? It's going to be a challenge message to all of us, a challenge to my heart as I was preparing it, but it's a good challenge because God is challenging us to be like Messiah. Yeshua, who is like him? No one, right? And to imitate and follow in his steps, we have to take the challenge that he's giving us. So, Rob Shaul was challenging these believers in Philippi that they would follow his steps, seeking to be servants of the one who came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life. So, we know that the opposite of humility is, of course, pride. I tell you, there was not one ounce of pride in Yeshua. When we are full of ourselves, it is hard to serve others because our ego gets in the way. When we feel that we are better than others at a task, we can easily get irritated and annoyed. Just saying, okay? And we have thoughts like this. I know no one else has these thoughts. I don't know why they're in this ministry. I don't know why Rabbi Carol, Rabbi Michael, or I don't know why my boss picked them. I'm so much better than they are. I should be doing that. Look at all my gifts and talents. They should have picked me. Why am I never picked? I'm so much better qualified. And we'll serve... In the congregation or in our home or at our workplace or whatever. But there's a listen to me, a stench to our service because of the pride oozing out of us. Told you it's gonna be a challenge. Look back at Philippians two, three and four, the verses preceding. The ones we just read about Yeshua's humility. And what does Rav Shaul encourage us to do? He says, do nothing out of rivalry or vanity. But in humility, regard each other as better than yourselves. Look out for each other's interests and not just for your own. That's humility, preferring others. I want to tell you the truth is, Adonai doesn't always use the most qualified person. And you can take it up with him when you get to heaven, but I'm going to tell you, I think about that time, it ain't going to matter to you because you're going to be so glad you just made it there. He doesn't always use the most talented person because he's looking at what? The heart. Right? Think about when the prophet Shmuel came to anoint a king and he came to Jesse's house. Jesse didn't even think of David. You know, when Shmuel came and said to your sons, and he brought all of his sons, he said all of his sons, but he forgot one because David was insignificant in Jesse's eyes. When Shmuel came and said, I'm going to anoint a king, he knew it had to be one of these older brothers. And we know the, what happened as he went one by one, and God said, not this one, not this one, not this one. And finally, Shmuel's like, do you have any more sons? Because this, this is not God. Oh, yeah, you know, the younger one, but he's out there. And call him, call him. The minute David walked in, Shmuel knew this was God's anointed. Why? Because God spoke to Shmuel and said, I don't look at outward. On the outward, these other guys look like they would fit the part of king so much better than David. In other words, they had the goods. But David had the heart. And that heart is why God chose him. Yeshua had a heart of humility. We need to emulate that heart if we want God to use us and if we want to be good servants. Again, most of us serve. I can look around this congregation and we, I can see many of you serving. But sometimes our service is not what it should be because we have a raunchy heart attitude. So God's going after our hearts today. Okay? And I'm going to encourage you, lay it open bare before him. Because after he does his surgery, your heart's going to be so much better. Amen? The second heart that I see in Yeshua is that he had a selfless heart. He was not looking to promote himself. He was not concerned about his needs first. Let me take care of myself, then I'll take care of the needs of others. Often we know that he withdrew to a solitary place which is an important practice that we can discuss at another time. Some of us do need to retreat uh, more than we do, and we need to t- find that time uh, to refresh ourselves because you can't give out of a place of being burnt out. But that's, again, for another message. But let's look at one of those occasions recorded in Mark chapter 6, verse 31. There were so many people coming and going that they couldn't even take time to eat. This is the disciples in Yeshua. Finally, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a place where we can be alone and you can get some rest. I'm going to stop here for a moment. I could hear the Talmudim. About time, Yeshua. We haven't even had a chance to eat. My stomach is growling. Are you kidding me, Yeshua? You should have dismissed these people a long time ago. We're so tired. We're so worn out. We haven't eaten Aren't you even thinking about us? We're your servants. We're the ones right here with you. Don't you think about our needs, Yeshua? And on and on, they probably were in their minds thinking these things. The story goes on. So they went off by themselves to an isolated spot. But many people seeing them leave and recognizing them ran ahead on foot from all the towns That means there was a lot more people and got there first. When Yeshua came ashore, he saw a huge crowd filled with compassion for them. Can you say that with me? Filled with compassion for them. That's a selfless heart. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, he began teaching them many things. By this time, the hour was late. The Talmudim came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's getting late. Come on, Yeshua. We were supposed to be relaxing ourselves. Now you've gone on and you started teaching, and it is getting so late. There's no food to feed these people. Send them away so they can buy food and go find a place to rest. Verse 37, but he answered them, you give them something to eat. I, I can imagine they were like flipping inside, okay? You have to be there and imagine what are you talking about, Yeshua? We are supposed to be here relaxing ourselves. Now you want us to feed them? And it's like you know, 10 o'clock at night, and all the stores are closed, and we don't have food for ourselves, and you want us to feed these people? Come on, Yeshua. You're expecting too much from us. They replied, we are to go and spend thousands on bread and give it to them eat. He asked them, how many loaves do you have? Go and check. And when they had found out, they said five loaves and two fish. And he ordered all the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of 50 or 100. They took the five loaves. He took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up towards heaven, he made a baraka. Next, he broke up the loaves and began giving them to the Talmudin to distribute. He also divided up the two fish among them all. And they ate as much as they wanted. That's a good phrase. We can meditate on that one. <laughs> they ate as much as they wanted. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces and fish. And those who ate the loaves numbered 5,000 men. Now, as I said a minute ago, it is important that we take time to rest and refresh ourselves. However, we also need to be willing to be like Yeshua was to this crowd of people, selfless and moved with compassion. The reality is, to be a servant, there are going to be times when you are exhausted and when you feel like Uh, You have nothing more to give, and it's at that time that Adonai will come tapping on your shoulder and say, uh, it's time to give just a little more. And the selfless heart will gladly give. That's Yeshua's heart. He withdrew with his disciples. They were going to this solitary place so they could rest, so they could eat. But the minute he saw the people, his heart was filled with compassion. To have a selfless heart, you have to have compassion for the people that God is calling you to minister to. How can I be selfless when I realize it's not about me? Yeshua could have continued on his way with his talmudim and told the crowd, "Look, it's been a long day. Come back tomorrow, and I'll take talk to you, and I'll teach you more, and I'll heal." But that's not what he did. As I said earlier, we read the scripture on Wednesday night, Mark ten forty-five. He came not to be served, but to serve. See, a selfless heart is not a heart that is demanding its own rights. Yeshua and his Talmudim had a right to rest and to refresh themselves and to eat. They had a right to that. But that selfless, compassionate heart said, you know what? Even though that's my right, right now I'm going to serve. And that's what God is calling us to do. One author said true greatness, true leadership is achieved not by reducing men to one's service, but in giving oneself in selfless service to others. So Yeshua had a heart of humility. He had a heart that was selfless. The next type of heart I see in Yeshua that we need to cultivate to have a servant's heart is that he had a heart that was willing to do any task. Now I love this story of Yeshua and his Talmudim right before his death in Yochanan chapter 13. Beginning with verse 1, it says, It was just before the festival of Pesach, and Yeshua knew that the time had come for him to pass from this world to the Father. Having loved his own people in the world, he loved them to the end. They were at the supper, and the adversary had already put the desire to betray him into the heart of Yehuda ben Shimon from Kyotah. Yeshua was aware that the father had put everything in his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he rose from the table, removed his outer garments, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Then he poured some water into a basin and began to wash the feet of the Talmudim and wipe them off with a towel wrapped around him. (coughs) Of course, we know that this is a great act of humility. But it also shows a heart that is willing to do whatever needs to be done. Most of us are familiar with the customs in the ancient world around this here story. You've heard probably many sermons uh, preached on this story. Uh, but because people traveled uh, by foot, you know, uh, maybe by donkey if they had one, um, it was a, and there was not paved roads, although our paved roads needed a little help these days here in the Northeast. Um, But they uh, traveled by foot on dusty roads, so the custom was when someone entered your home to have a servant ready to clean and to wash their feet and to refresh them uh, from the journey. So as they came into this room, there was no one to do that. No provision had been provided up to this point, So Yeshua got up from the table and he took on the role of a menial servant in washing his Talmudim feet. And it's interesting that none of them thought to do that. Not one of his Talmudim thought to do that, yet it was a custom that they knew should have been done. I get it was none of their homes, but they think about the the two who went in to arrange this, this Seder, right? They were told, go in, and you'll find this room. So the room was all set up with the Passover elements. Don't you think they should have taken care of that aspect? Because that was a normal custom. So none of them thought to do it. And when Yeshua got up, none of them said, oh, no, 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 Yeshua. I'll do it. Let me take the basin. Let me take the towel. See the difference? When Yeshua got to Kepha, he did object. But by then, Yeshua had hardly gone around and washed quite a few feet. Sometimes we're like the Talmudim. Often, and you can read even shortly before this passage and other parts of the wrote, the they were arguing about who's going to be the greatest jockeying for position, right? When Yochanan and Yaakov's mother came to Yeshua and said, I, ha- I have a request. Will you let my son sit, one on the right, one on the left, and the other tell me. They were like, who in the heck do they think they are? And what, you know, what's this mother doing here? We're just as great. And this whole thing, right? Another time they're right, walking down the road and Yeshua knows what's going on, but they're having this, again, this big debate about who's going to be the greatest. What are you guys talking about? Oh, nothing, Yeshua oh, no, you're talking about something. He says, let me tell you, you want to be the greatest? You have to be the servant of all. Which means willing to do whatever needs to be done. That's the kingdom principle. I'm sure the Talmudim were influenced by what they saw around them. The Roman uh, soldiers, soldiers, uh, parading around with their, you know, servants in tow and thought, you know, well, that should be us. You know, again, this idea of we're important. You know, we're like right-hand men to Yeshua. He's the Messiah. So shouldn't people be serving us? Kingdom principles are not the same as the principles of this world. And I've shared this in many messages in the past. Everyone wants to be in the limelight. No one wants to serve in the shadows. But Talmudim did not want to get down and wash someone's feet. Yeshua says, I'll do it. Even though I'm God, even though I'm Messiah, this is not something I cannot do because I'm a servant. I'll do whatever needs to be done. No task is beneath me. Yet, too often in the body of Messiah, that's our approach. Only if we're asked to do something that's in the limelight will we say yes. There was a song, I've shared this before too, that growing up in the believing world, I only remember this line, i have to go look this song up, but it said, Nobody wants to play rhythm guitar behind Yeshua. Everyone wants to be the lead guitarist in the band. A servant heart is a heart that will do whatever is put before them. Any task that they're asked to do or any task that they see Yeshua wasn't asked to wash people's feet, but he saw that it needed to be done. That's what a servant's heart is. They see something that needs to be done, and they step up and they do it. The other heart that we see in Yeshua is that a servant's heart, that attitude of a servant's heart is one that seeks no recognition. I was reading an article in the Leadership Magazine on servant leadership, and it said, attitude is everything. Attitude is everything. If servanthood is merely a technique to advance yourself, you will fail. It's like trying to fake authenticity. Yeshua did nothing because he wanted people to notice him. He was not looking for accolades from men, He was not desiring promotion or position. Often when he healed people, he would say, go and tell no one. Unfortunately, his disciples, as we've just seen, did not always imitate Yeshua's heart. And sometimes we don't either. That's why Yeshua encourages us with the following in Matthew chapter 6 beginning with verse 1. He says, be careful not to parade your acts of sadaka in front of people in order to be seen by them. If you do, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you do tzedakah, don't announce it with trumpets to win people's praise like the hypocrites in the synagogue on the streets. Yes, I tell you, they have their reward already. But you, when you do tzedakah, Don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Then your tzedakah will be in secret, and your father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners so that people can see them. Yes, I tell you, they have their reward already. But you, when you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your father in secret. Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This passage truly speaks to the crux of the matter when it comes to do service. You can do the right thing, but have the wrong motive. And several times in this passage it says, So people can see them. If we are serving so people can see that's a wrong heart attitude. And as I said, if we do not cultivate and develop these right heart attitudes, we can serve, but it's not going to be a sweet aroma to Adonai. In verse 1, the, the word that David Stern translates in the complete Jewish Bible as parade is the word that we get uh, our English word theater from. And one writer explains, it is, has in mind a spectacle to be gazed at. So you see, the heart of these people—they want someone to look at them. They want people to say praise them and to recognize the sacrifice they are making. Now, these things that Yeshua is talking about are things that are a normal part of a believer's life: giving, praying, right. Those are things that we're all supposed to be doing. But it was a wrong heart attitude in these people that Yeshua was challenging. If we are looking for people to notice us, then we already have our reward. The praise of men. But the greater reward is doing without people noticing so that we will receive from our Father in heaven who sees. Many people do things and nobody even knows it. No one draws attention to it. They don't draw attention to those things. Their reward will be great in heaven because they have a good servant's heart. God is challenging me today, challenging you here in the sanctuary, you listening by on our podcast, to cultivate the same heart that Yeshua had. We just looked at the different things, stories of Yeshua, and the heart that he displayed all connected to serving. It's God's desire that each one of us would cultivate a servant's heart in the kingdom of God. There's always something that needs to be done in the kingdom, and there's more that's left undone because no one is found to do it. As we cultivate a heart of a servant and practice serving, God wants to encourage us with the benefits that will come from that. So I'm going to close with thoughts from an article I read that gave six things that serving does for us as believers. And these are examples of how cultivating this tool that God has given to us will make our lives flourish. The first thing the article said was that serving helps us to discover and develop our spiritual gifts. It said that God places gifts inside each one of us seeds of serving others and will never discover our unique contribution until we start to serve. The article goes on to say that a seed will never become what it was designed to become unless it's planted in the right environment. The scripture they share is Romans 12.6 which says we all have different gifts according to the grace given to each one of us. So God encouraging us to be those who serve and as we do you'll not only find, but develop spiritual gifts that are inside of you. The second thing is that serving allows us to experience miracles. The first miracle that Yeshua did was to turn the water into wine at the marriage uh, recorded in Yocanon chapter 2. Now think about it. The guests at the wedding got to enjoy like the best wine they probably ever, ever tasted. And the uh, master of the wedding, the head, You know, got all the accolades of, wow, you have served us something awesome. But the people who really got the best thing that day were the servants who were right there in the middle of the whole miracle. Yeshua said, take this water and serve it to your master. Those are the ones who were so blessed because they were right there on the miracle that took place. So when we serve, we are putting ourselves right dab in the center where we could be a part of a miracle that God wants to do through our service. Think about that. It goes on to say the third area of benefit to us is that it produces joy. Everyone is looking for joy. We think we'll find it in possessions and pleasure. Maybe you've heard the statement that happiness doesn't come from getting what you want, but being grateful for what you have. The article goes on to say, here's another thought. Happiness doesn't come from getting what you want, but from helping others get what they really need. There's no greater joy than being used by God to meet the needs of other people. So serving will give you joy. The fourth thing is serving connects you with great friendship. Making the decision to serve God by serving others will connect you with some of the finest people on the planet. Friendships flourish when we roll up our sleeves, link our arms, and partner with other people. When you serve in the kingdom of God and when you come alongside other people in the body of Messiah, whether you're here at Beth Emanuel or, again, listening on podcasts, whatever congregation you might be a part of, you have the opportunity to develop friendships and, 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 and to have opportunity for fellowship and koinonia to take place. You know, I think of one of the groups here in the congregation... Uh, the ONED committee, you know, sometimes when it's time for a holiday, uh, my husband is like, "What is going on with your phone there?" Because they are texting nonstop, <coughs> you know, back and forth, back and forth. And I said, "Oh, it's just the O.N.E. committee. We're just sorting through things, and and then and afterwards, we're you know, encouraging each other. There's a camaraderie and a friendship that is being developed as these people serve together. So when we serve. We are putting ourselves in the position to develop relationship and to have fellowship with others in the body of Messiah. Hebrews 10, 24, 25 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards loving good deeds. In other words, serving. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. The fifth thing that this article encouraged was that serving increases our faith. Faith grows when we open our heart to be used by God. When we do things that we've never done before and we're forced out of our comfort uh, zone to a place of radical dependence on God's power, our faith will grow. I can remember the story of Natalie Natalie and Fred still in Florida. it will be back in April. There are snowbirds there. But I remember her uh, serving in the nursery and that she wasn't so, you know, I don't know if I'm really making a difference in what this, but I remember coming and telling Adeline and I that she was so blessed as one of the little kids came up and said, there's my teacher. This joy welled up, and, and again, it gave her confidence in what she was doing and being a part of a nursery because at first it's like, I don't know if I really should be here. But she, her faith increased because she stepped out to be used in an area and God just you know, increased again her faith and her joy and the last thing that this article said is serving is good for the soul studies have been shown that volunteering is good for the mind and the body it reduces symptoms of stress and depression don't raise your hand but if you're stressed and depressed come volunteer we have plenty of things that can be done It reduces these symptoms. Three acts of kindness are better uh, mediation than any drug when it comes to reducing stress. So when you start serving, it builds confidence, it increases energy, and you tap into a strength you never knew you had. And the article concluded by saying, people who serve drink deeply from life. I love that line. People who serve drink deeply from life and the life they live, and they live a life significantly. That's God's heart for you and me today. And so our prayer as your leaders is that you will live your life significantly. Cultivate a servant's heart, a heart like Yeshua, and stand back and see what Adonai will do in your life. Imitate Yeshua, and your life will flourish. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. Yeshua, most importantly, we thank you for your example. Uh, That you lived before us and that you called us to emulate you. So I pray for each one of us in this area of serving and of servanthood that we would uh, cultivate the same heart that you had. That heart of humility, that selfless, compassionate heart, a heart willing to do whatever needs to be done, not thinking anything is above me or or I'm too good for this, a heart that says it doesn't matter if anyone sees ever what I'm doing, God, I'm doing it for you. Now let that be our hearts. Help us to cultivate that heart and to use this tool for your kingdom. And God, I pray that each one, as they, make a commitment to do that they would see the benefits of serving God, that these six things that this article talked about and so much more that you pour into our lives as we serve God would be things that uh, this body truly experiences. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen.